A couple of weeks ago, my friend Chris told me that he's going to Toronto to take some courses. He asked if I wanted to come along and I said sure, because I'm really not doing anything. I'm back in my hometown, I'm staying in the spare room at my parents' house. I'm just biding my time until winter's over and I can move somewhere else. I was leaning toward maybe Montreal. So a couple of months in Toronto, well, why not? What have I got to lose? So last night he came over and finalized stuff. This is the place we're gonna stay. It's all set up, no problem. And we'll be leaving pretty soon, in another couple of weeks from now. This is the same time frame as when I moved to New York. It's right after Christmas, early January, bam, take off, move somewhere else. Two years ago it was New York, now it's Toronto. And then last night after Chris went home, it just occurred to me all of a sudden, it just hit me. All at once that by the time his course is over, it'll be mid-March, almost spring. And if I'm already in Toronto, wouldn't it make sense to stay for the summer? Why would I come back to my hometown? I've been here for plenty of summers. I know what this is all about. And I know enough people online because when I was in New York, I was a guest on the Keith and the Girl show a lot. They have a ton of fans all over the place. Like, even though I only know like two people in Toronto, it won't be hard to find other people to to help me get a job or to help me find a roommate or just to sleep on their couch. Like, it should be no problem. And then I started thinking, and I do this every time, what if this move just really works out well? When I moved to Vancouver, I thought this. When I moved to New York, I thought this. Like, what if this is the time that I move and I just, like, find a cool job or I hook up with a girl I really like? And what if I just stay? And that's never what happens. I always eventually burn out and then move somewhere else. And that was part of what made this trip seem so fun, is that it's only two months. Big deal. Go to Toronto, two months. Biggity-bam, come home. But now that I'm realizing that it's seeming more and more likely that I'm going to stay longer. It kind of freaked me out, you know, it got all heavy all of a sudden. I didn't even intend to move to Toronto, you know, I was really leaning toward Montreal. But it's laid out right in front of me, I've got no reason to resist. But I'm excited also. It's, I learned a long time ago that being excited and being nervous is the exact same feeling. It's just how you interpret it. So I think it's best just to, just to go with it. Just let the universe unravel like it's gonna unravel. XO number 11, Keith McNally's Precious Little Life. (laughs) 
Last year I was on a cruise with a bunch of fans of the podcast Keith and the Girl. And I happened to be wearing my Scott Pilgrim t-shirt. This girl, Starlene, who was also on the cruise, she recognized it. She does her own comic strip called Candy. I'll put a link in the show notes. So me and her got to talking about Scott Pilgrim and how awesome it is. And my old roommate from New York, Newsy, was also on that cruise. So Newsy kind of took note of like, what the fuck is it these people are talking about? What is this Scott Pilgrim shit? And he went and tracked it down. And what it is, is a comic book by a Canadian guy named Brian Lee O'Malley. To describe Scott Pilgrim real quickly, Scott Pilgrim is the story of a 23-year-old kid who lives in Toronto and is in a band. And initially it's just about him and his friends kind of hanging out, doing stuff, very low-key, little bit slice of life. And then it starts becoming obvious that this doesn't take place in the real world. It's like halfway a video game world. They have power-ups and save points, and if you buy a bottle of like an energy drink, it really clearly states like this will give you plus three to your punching, plus five strength, plus three endurance, like a River City Ransom. Most of the bands in the comic are named after old Nintendo games. There's occasional fight scenes. And basically the whole plot is that Scott starts dating this girl named Ramona, who's from the United States. And he finds out that to keep dating her, he's gonna have to fight her six evil ex-boyfriends. It's really kind of strange and all over the place and it doesn't have a very steady plot. It kind of goes all over the place. And it's just really fucking cool. Really fucking super cool. And Newsy became a big fan, as are all good people. And just today, he sent me a Twitter message about the Scott Pilgrim movie that's coming out next year. And that got me on track to go check out all the video blogs that they've done to promote the movie, and I caught up on all of those. And it was just amazing to see, just phenomenal to watch this movie come together where all the people look like they're supposed to look, you know? They look just like the characters from the comic book. All the scenes look right. A bunch of the settings are the actual settings. They went to Toronto where the story is set and they shot stuff in the exact real-life locations that the comic was based on. And the whole thing seems so crazy. It must be extra crazy for Brian Lee O'Malley, the guy who does the comic, to see this all coming together. Like, to see a comic be so accurate and be so close and to have... You know, there's just this long history of movies fucking shit up and just being ridiculous and getting all fucked. And lately things have definitely moved a lot more toward staying true to the source material. And it's just fantastic. It's just... It's like when you imagine, and well, if I was to imagine in my head, like, imagine if they made a Scott Pilgrim movie. Imagine how amazing that would be. Imagine how cool that could be. And it's being made, you know? It's like, it seems like the only way that could ever really happen would be if I somehow made it, you know? If I somehow got my hands on millions of dollars and, you know, which is just idle dream speculation because it's not going to happen. But in this case, it is happening. Someone's doing it and it's just so incredibly exciting 
to watch reality come together like this, to watch something come together in this way. And Scott Pilgrim in particular holds a very special place in my heart because basically it's the last comic book I was ever really into. I worked at a comic store in my early 20s, late teens, early 20s, so for years. And I was always into the more obscure kind of idiosyncratic stuff. That's actually how I got the job was because I was not a superhero guy. They already had the superhero guy. They needed the indie comic guy and that was me. So I knew about Brian Lee O'Malley for, you know, years before Scott Pilgrim even came out, but Scott Pilgrim seemed like just the perfect, just coalescence, converging. What's the word I'm looking for? It's where all of the, the potential that that guy always had really just exploded into just bam, like it was just obvious how great this guy was and how excellent this comic was. And it comes out in these big thick volumes every year and a half or so. So right after that first volume came out, that was when I moved to Vancouver. And soon after I got there, my old boss from the comic shop sent me like a care package and in it was a Scott Pilgrim t-shirt. And that became my lucky t-shirt. Both times I did stand-up opening for Keith Malley in New York on his two DVDs. I'm wearing that t-shirt. When I got pepper sprayed and robbed in Vancouver, I was wearing that t-shirt and the police said I should just throw away my clothes because they were ruined, they were covered in this. It's this hyper strong pepper spray meant for bears. They're like, these, these are ruined, you have to get rid of these. But I couldn't, that's my Scott Pilgrim shirt, you know? These days the thing is so ratty and filled with holes that I don't really wear it that much anymore, but I've still got it. So I've been rolling things around in my mind of like, what am I going to do the new XO episode about? And I've got a bunch of ideas and a couple of things half finished. But just watching these little video blogs about the Scott Pilgrim movie. I mean, it's, it's such nerdy pop culture stuff, but I love that shit. And it just really moved me like more than anything has lately. It just, it was just, I had this goofy, excited grin watching these things. And then when I got through all 12 of them, I just got hit by this wave of amazement. I just got choked up at how incredible it is just to see something that I like so much be appreciated by other people and be adapted with such care and consideration. And then it's gonna be a movie, you know? There's gonna be posters everywhere. There's gonna be, I mean, it's maybe if only for a weekend, it's gonna take over the world. Everyone's gonna know what Scott Pilgrim is and it's just so exciting. So then I remembered about this podcast that I did a while ago. 
And what I did is I, I talked about where I was in life when each volume of Scott Pilgrim was released. Five of the six have been released so far. And what I'm going to do is take that old podcast and remix it. Oh, I'm walking by a snowman. Man, I can't remember the last time I made a fucking snowman. I gotta remember to do that at least one more time before I fucking die. So, XO number 11. The Scott Pilgrimage. Volume 1. It's, say, three months since I moved to Vancouver, probably about that. I was working at a coffee shop, the blends on the corner of Davie and Granville, 24 hour. Open every major holiday. Never, ever, ever is closed. Something about that always seemed vaguely creepy to me. So there's this girl there named Erica who I quite fancied. And I found out that my friend Ryan, who worked there, also liked her. And when we found out, we uh, set up this, like, dopey-ass game where we would each go on dates, and then whatever information we'd learned on the date, we would pass on to each other. Like, uh, I don't know, a weird, like, may the, let the best man win, but also let's pool our resources gentlemanly combat. I don't know, it was fucking weird and dumb. And honestly, I started feeling a little bit bad about it. Like we were kind of manipulating this girl in a way. She didn't know we were playing some silly ass game. And I mean, let's be clear, it's not like the game was the point. I really liked that girl. I really wanted to date her. But when I found out Ryan liked her, I don't know, seemed like the thing to do. I can't remember who even came up with that plan. I think we were just spitballing and just decided, yeah, fuck it. Let's give this a go. And I remember I sent a letter, actually, to Brian O'Malley, and at this point, I didn't have a computer. I had to go to the library to check email and stuff. So I sent him an email from the library, just telling him how much I liked his comic and how I briefly recounted this, like, silly little battle for the woman's hand thing that I was doing. And how somehow his comic just, just made me feel better. It just made me feel like everything was going to work out.
Now, by the time volume two of Scott Pilgrim came out, me and Erica were dating. I eventually told her about the thing with Ryan. She didn't care. She insisted that I would have won anyway, that she wasn't really interested in him. But I don't know, Ryan, he had some style. I don't think it'd be impossible. But I introduced her to Scott Pilgrim. I don't know, at some point, I remember Erica went to a comic store, like, on her own and picked something up, and I was like, ah, that's cool. I don't know, there's something just in the heart of a nerd. It's nice to, to corrupt a girl into the ways of comic books. And I remember right around that time, we went on this like month-long vacation back east and I quit the job at the coffee shop rather than ask for time off because it was a long time it was like five weeks I just plain quit and we spent two weeks in her hometown London Ontario and then two weeks in my hometown Fredericton New Brunswick and uh, another few days out in Halifax And Brian O'Malley had just moved from Toronto to the Halifax area. And he knew Cal, because Cal ran the coolest comic shop in town. So I got to meet him. And I was actually wearing a Scott Pilgrim t-shirt when I met him. Me and Erica met him and his girlfriend, Hope Larson. And uh, I'm sure I must have looked like a real Goonie fanboy that I... I was wearing like a sweater because it was kind of chilly that day so I had to lift up the sweater and be like hey man look I'm wearing your shirt this is you this is the Scott Pilgrim shirt and that was really cool the big cross Canada trek and then back out to Vancouver. Now, by the time Scott Pilgrim 3 came out, me and Erica were broken up, and things were starting to unravel out in Vancouver. I was really holding on hard because I was afraid that if I went back home to my hometown, I might never leave again. 
I really wanted to try to get back on top of things in Vancouver, but it was just going way bad. And things with Erica had been so good. We even lived together real briefly, I don't know, for two months. That when they were good, it was fantastic. You know, finally I had a girlfriend. I was in this cool relationship. I was kind of playing house and I was really, really digging it. I remember specifically the bedroom of this one apartment that Erica lived in, where right outside her window, you could see this train yard. And you could usually hear the trains sort of off in the distance, clanging together, but not loud enough to be annoying. Just kind of a background sound that kind of always helped anchor that place in my memory. And I distinctly remember being in that bedroom, kneeling on her bed and opening her curtains and just looking out at Vancouver from where she lived. You could see downtown Vancouver and behind that are the mountains. And I just remember looking out at all of that stuff and thinking about how massively different my life was from where it had been a year before. How amazing it was that all I did was work at a coffee shop. I didn't even work full time. I worked like three or four days a week. That's all it took. That was the price of entry. That was the ticket price to live this, this carnival of a life, you know? Like every day just seemed so excellent. I had a girlfriend who I was really into. I had a job that was very temporary and dead end, but that I really didn't mind that much. I didn't mind making coffee and chatting with people. I was good at that stuff. It really bums me out when I see clerks that are just not engaging or entertaining. I don't know, I didn't find that so hard to do. Part of it was that since I worked less than half of the week, I'd spend a lot of time at home, you know, working on a novel or whatever I happened to be doing. Until it was actually fun to go to the coffee shop and talk to people and just socialize and stuff. And I just remember feeling so proud of myself because I'd been stuck in a rut for so long back in my hometown. But I did it. I moved on. I moved to this new place. I was making this whole life for myself. Now, by the time Scott Pilgrim Volume 4 came out, quite a lot had happened. I did move back to my hometown, and I ended up being like a live-in babysitter for my cousin Dan's daughter, Allie, for like eight months. And I rode back down. I am surprised at how well I did. 
there's a lot of stress to having a kid that gets taken away when it's not your kid. You know, I'm sure I would have had a lot more worry and general anxiety and probably over-parenting if she were my daughter. But since I was just the babysitter, it was kind of just fun. Teach her the alphabet, watch Blue's Clues, just, yeah, shit like that. It was good. And it definitely filled some kind of void after things broke with Erica and I didn't have my little playing house anymore. Well, now I get to play dad, you know? I get to be the guy that fucking gets some groceries and buys diapers and does the laundry. Lots of good memories. It was very... I felt effective. I felt like I was doing something worthwhile. An important use of my time. So it was a lot better than just heading back to my hometown and just... stagnating again like I was afraid I might. It really was a good, good way to spend that, that year. But ultimately, I knew since she's not my daughter, you know, that's like I was saying, there's that, it's, you, not only is it easier to detach, you actually can, you know, I could leave. And I felt kind of guilty about it, I really didn't want to, you know, I mean, me and Allie spent so much time together that year. She was like two and a half when I first moved there. All kinds of time together. So I knew it would be, you know, a loss for me to go. And ultimately, I mean, it was, she ended up moving in with her grandparents and I'm sure they are doing a very good job. So it all, it all worked out. But I was kind of torn. It's like, I, I want to stay here with Ali, but I need to try to get my own life going also. So I tried moving back out to Vancouver, but it did not go as well that second time. Just the blast of like super excitement from that first time of really feeling effective in my life and really feeling accomplishment wasn't there the second time. The second time, I already knew the city. I ended up going back to a job I had had before as a projectionist at a movie theater. And it was still not bad, but it was like, a, it was a pale echo. It wasn't, it didn't feel the same. I didn't feel like it was gonna work. Without the feeling of potential, it really just felt like this isn't where I'm supposed to be right now. 
but seated in between all these events, I had kind of gotten to know Keith and Hemda. I had opened for Keith twice, done some video editing work for them a little bit. So Hemda suggested, hey, why don't you try moving to New York? And I was like, you know, that's a fucking cool idea. Because, I mean, if moving from my small town to the much bigger town of Vancouver was so empowering that time, man, moving to New York, what's better than that? You know, if you can beat New York, you can beat anything. And in the one month between coming home from Vancouver and moving to New York, that's when Scott Pilgrim Volume 4 came out. And uh, I borrowed this copy from my friend Brad. So, Scott Pilgrim 5, Volume 5, one more to go. And in this ensuing year, New York kind of fucking chewed me up and spit me out. I did not do so well. We dated, we broke up. All kinds of shit happened to me. So where will I be when Scott Pilgrim 6 comes out? And the Scott Pilgrim movie? Who knows?
course I wish that I could save her So do all of you I kind of lived in the middle of the woods for a while, for a couple years, it's literally in Nova Scotia. Oh, and then I moved to the U.S. and I was immigrating, and um, I didn't have, I couldn't travel very much, because I was immigrating, I wasn't allowed to leave the country and stuff. I missed the release from Volume 4, I didn't do anything for it. And then when Volume 5 came out, it was just like, way bigger, New York Comic Con, like everyone showed up. And the last year has been like the, the biggest, like, oh, it's like fantastic. a huge leap, yeah. That's fantastic. thought I knew what I wanted, but then it ended up going slightly differently. It's it's different from the screenplay, and it's way better. It's way better than the movie. <laughs> Especially for the last book, I was like, and I, I have to do better. That's how I felt. Yeah, you know, yeah. I have to outdo it. I have to... People have to be like, wow, that book is awesome. That makes the movie look so shitty. <laughs> it's the prettiest.